it's Jacob Hill with GRC Academy. Today I'm here with Mr. Jacob Horn. Jacob, how are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Can you talk to us about your background and how you got started? Yeah. So I'm Jacob Horn. For the last several years, I have been very, very tightly focused on helping small and medium-sized defense contractors facilitate their contractual compliance with various cybersecurity requirements that the Department of Defense has developed over the last 10 years or so. So I originally started my career in cybersecurity by joining the Navy. That was about 15 years ago. And through the way the Navy works, I ended up with the opportunity to go into sort of a traditional intelligence analyst job that had a lot of overlap with the then growing world of cybersecurity to facilitate naval intelligence. So I got to do some cool work at NSA, got to do some cool awesome. work with Navy Blue Team, and seeing both sides of the coin there, if you will, was very eye-opening for early in my career. So I spent about eight years in the Navy, got out of the Navy, and went and was a SOC analyst doing shift work, doing the thing, just like everybody else. Uh, a lot of people in security, right, did my time on a SOC watch floor and was living in Hawaii, living the dream. And I got tired of shift work, as most people, I think, do over time, even though working in the SOC is pretty cool, pretty interesting. And we decided that we wanted to come back to Southern California, where we're from. And as it turns out, there is a ton of aerospace and defense acquisition in the Southern California area. And so because my bachelor's degree through University of Maryland, University College was heavily focused on NIST standards, NIST controls, RMF, uh, how that entire process worked. It wasn't all that big of a jump in order to make the seemingly weird jump into federal acquisitions. And so I started out in that world, ended up doing some work at an acquisition command, went and worked for Northrop Grumman, doing some big satellite acquisitions through them, basically just wrangling the RMF 853 ATO process, minding my own business. And then one day, the head of supply chain came into my office and slid 800-171 across my desk and said, what is this? Our suppliers are freaking out. I opened it up and I go, I don't know, what is this? It's like a weird cut down version of 853. I distinctly remember saying that. I said, this is a very like, it's like a weird smaller version of 853. What, what is this? Because yeah. it wasn't a traditional baseline. It wasn't like some heavily tailored version. It was like rewritten in a strange way. And so one thing led to another. There was a big opportunity to sort of bring that understanding of RMF and 853 down into the defense supply chain. So I started consulting and I did that for a little while, got to work with the NIST Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program. So lots and lots of interactions with very, very small suppliers. And that's when my independent research into this world started to really kick off because you would listen to what DOD was saying circa 2016, 2017, 2018, especially in the lead up to CMC 2019. And then you go yeah. speak to the actual suppliers in the supply chain. So I started posting about it. I started presenting on it, just started to put content out there. And that's when I got linked up with Summit 7 at one of their conferences that they host, the Cloud Security and Compliance Series CS2 conference. One thing led to another, and now I am the chief security evangelist for Summit 7, which is basically a fancy way of saying I make content and put out helpful information free to the ecosystem, and I have no sales quota is basically what that title means. I can tell you that I've really benefited over the years from watching the content and reading and learning from you. So yeah, one thing I wanted to say, you know, right off the top is it's been awesome to watch your own content development grow. Now I'm on you know your podcast, watching all the stuff that you post. Yeah, I remember one of the first times that we ever chatted back and forth on LinkedIn messaging, and you know, you were obviously 
neck deep in the world of being a practitioner, but it's awesome to see the show growing. It's awesome to see your course growing. It's awesome to see your platform growing. It's great. Knowledge about this stuff, it's not a finite good. So the more people who understand it, the more people who are talking about it, the better. Thank you. Thank you for that. What does Summit 7 do? Sure. So Summit 7 is a managed services provider, and we specifically help small and medium-sized defense contractors facilitate their compliance requirements with DFAR's cybersecurity contract requirements in the Microsoft tech stack. Excellent. Now, obviously, we hear a lot of terms, one of which CUI, NIST 800-171, CMMC. Tell us how we got here. So the long and short of it is back in 2010, after a long lead up of trying to start multiple programs to help protect sensitive information that isn't quite classified, an executive order was signed by President Obama that kicked off this very large three-part plan. And the three parts of the plan were a regulation that required executive branch agencies to establish a CUI program, programs for protecting the confidentiality of sensitive unclassified data that isn't quite classified because the process for protecting classified information has been well established for a very, very long time. The second part of that plan was to come up with a set of acquisition regulations so that when that data flowed into the supply chain downstream from those executive agencies, that those same requirements would follow that information into the supply chain. And then the third aspect of that plan was a minimum standard that would be the set of requirements imposed by that contractual regulation. So those three things together are the CUI program that was kicked off in 2010. Problem was CUI reform, if you will, took many, many, it's still taking years. And so it took upwards of six years for that first part of the plan, the regulation to get the agency regulation together. In that interim time, the DOD was just getting spanked every day and just losing all this unclassified information out of the supply chain. So they took it upon themselves to say, listen, we know that this big CUI program regulation is coming, but we need to do something now. And so we're going to create a contract clause. We're going to specify a set of requirements. And as soon as the big CUI program is ready, we'll just point to that. Sure enough, that caused some turf wars and some authority disparities, things like that. And this sort of big bureaucratic fight between NARA, who's in charge of the CUI program, DOD, who's in charge of their own acquisition regulations, so on and so forth. One thing leads to another, and that ended up making that set of minimum standards, 800-171, come together much quicker. Fast forward a few years, and the DoD is still losing all of this information out of the supply chain. The CUI program is still coming together. And so Congress finds out that several large DoD weapon systems have been compromised or otherwise undermined, having lost this information. And so they demand that DoD comes up with an assessment program to hold contractors accountable and verify that that minimum standard has been implemented. And that was the catalyst for creating the CMMC program as a regulation was to create a program that verifies the implementation of that minimum standard, that minimum standard being one of the three pieces of the overall CUI program. That program rolled out in 2020. And as it turns out, most contractors had no idea that they had this minimum set of standards. They had no idea that the DOD was so worried about it, and they certainly had no idea that Congress was ultra pissed that all of these very high dollar weapon systems were being compromised. And because of a combination, I think, of the political 
tone and tenor of the 2019-2020 era and the shock and awe of having to have a technical set of cybersecurity requirements foisted on you all of a sudden, people retaliated, if you will. Yeah. That caused a lot of drama. It drug out through 2021. There was a big program review. And then at the end of 2021, DOD said, okay, we're going to go back and do more rulemaking, a rule being the government's term for a regulation. Mm -hmm. And we're going to really do it right this time and reinforce what this assessment verification program is supposed to be. And that's really been the, the spot that we've been treading water in ever since is waiting for that rulemaking cycle to complete so that we can get the final version of that assessment program regulation, and then we can all move on with our lives and actually start doing the assessment and verification. You know, you can barely have a conversation these days about CMMC without talking about rulemaking. What is rulemaking? Can you explain that to us? Yeah. And who is actually involved? Yeah, so rulemaking is fascinating because there probably isn't a single part of the way the American government operates touches and influences the day-to-day -day lives of American citizens more than rulemaking. And yeah. almost no one knows how it works. And when you talk to people who do know how it works, almost no one wants to talk about it because it's incredibly boring. It's yeah. very bureaucratic. It's very strange. It's obscure. It's just really weird, but it is how regulations are made. And the history of it is fascinating. I'll send uh, a link over, we could put it in the show notes, to a yeah. book that's actually surprisingly easy read on how rulemaking has changed over decades and decades and decades. I mean, CMMC rulemaking is a very small example of the really strange universe of rulemaking overall. But essentially, rulemaking is the process by which the government creates a regulation. Typically, that is done by a federal agency. They can start the rulemaking process either because a piece of legislation directs them to create a regulation, which is the case with CNMC. That's the case with a lot of regulations. Or they could do it within the scope of their own authorities. For instance, OSHA regulations, EPA regulations, FAA, FCC, things like that. Whereas a lot of the stuff that we know of in the defense supply chain has really come as a result of Congress directing the DOD to go do rulemaking and put it in contracts, which, you know, as a side note for anybody that's skeptical, it really, really helps to zoom all the way out. And remember, Congress are the ones that told DOD to do this. A lot of times you'll hear people say, I don't know if this is really going to happen because there's no way Congress will let this happen. It was their idea. They started it. DOD would have otherwise been totally fine just hoping for the best. Congress is the one that started it. So as far as who is involved, depending on how much of the cycle you're talking about, everyone is involved. So the people within the agency are involved. Congress is technically involved because they're the ones who are starting it. They're technically the last ones who get to look at the regulation when it's done being developed right before it goes into full effect. The public is involved because the public gets to read and then comment on the rule. Yeah. The agencies and DOD will tell you that industry is involved during the development of the process because they take those inputs and they use them in the development of the text of the regulation. Now, how true all of that is versus what it sounds like and looks like on paper is, I think, a subject for a longer debate. Mm -hmm. But as far as rulemaking is concerned, lots and lots of people involved. As far as CMMC rulemaking is concerned, we are talking about an office within the Pentagon 
specifically the DOD CIO's office. They are the ones who are drafting the text of the regulation. All federal agency regulations have to go to the core of federal agencies, which is the Office of Management and Budget. Sort of all federal agency roads lead to OMB. All agency regulations that are going to be published have to be reviewed by them. So at the time of this recording, this is currently the space that we're sitting in. DOD has finished drafting the text of the CMMC rule, the CMMC regulation. They have sent it over to OMB to do their final review, at which point it will be published. The public can read it, the public can comment on it, and then we're off to the races. I understand that there are two rules in place regarding CMMC. Can you talk to us about that and explain what they are? Yeah, so we're going deep into our civics lesson here. So effectively, the United States has two domains of law, if you will. You've got the U.S. code, which is where pieces of legislation go, like the actual laws that Congress will write go into the U.S. code. And then you've got the code of federal regulations, the CFR. So even though regulations are not technically laws, They have the weight of law. Like I said, check out the book that we'll link in the comments below. And they go all into like the interesting but intricate legal theory about what exactly a regulation is. Surprisingly, this has been a debate that goes back to the beginning of the Republic, right? This isn't a unique thing amongst CMMC rulemaking at all, right? We're a very small piece of a very large puzzle. Yeah. So as far as there being two different rules, effectively what happens is all of the clauses that show up in a federal contract for any federal agency are going to be contained in what is known as the Federal Acquisition Regulation. The Federal Acquisition Regulation, or the FAR, is contained in one part of the Code of Federal Regulations. It's one title of the Code of Federal Regulations. And there's many, many different titles to the CFR. Every federal agency has their own supplements to the FAR. The one that defense contractors in the CMFC community would be familiar with is the defense supplements to the FAR, which we refer to as the DFARS, defense FAR supplement. And so whenever a set of contract clauses is going to be changed, whenever the text of those rules is going to be changed, you have to go through the rulemaking process to change or update or remove or create new text in this title of the Code of Federal Regulations. So what happened was DOD has this emergency on their hands. They need to create a program that is going to verify that your contractual requirements are being implemented. So in 2020, they created a rule. They went through rulemaking and they published a rule that created a new contract clause, the DFARS 7021 clause, which says, go get a CMMC certification. And the CMMC program wasn't really written down anywhere. There was the assessment guide and there was the model documentation and they were just on the DOD website and the AB exists out there. And like, where does the program live? Like, how does the program work? Where is the text of the program? It didn't exist, right? So you've got this clause that just points to an idea. It's not really all that solid. So when we went through 2021 and the DOD was going through this big strategic review, their decision at the end of 2021 was, we're going to do rulemaking that's going to codify the text of the CMMC program itself. When you do that, it's not a contract clause, it's a program. And that program text is going to live in a different title of the Code of Federal Regulations. Here, it would be Title 32. Contract clauses live in Title 48. So the reason why there's two rules is that the CMMC program text is being written to 32 CFR, 
That's the CMMC rule that we're all waiting on. Once the text of the rule is written down, that contract clause from the 2020 rule has to be updated. It has to point to this part of the title, all of your reverse lookups, right? All of your DNS records in your contract clause text have to point to the right addresses. And so you've got to go through rulemaking in order to update the text. So there are two rules, but they are not the same. You've got one mega rule to write down and codify the CMC program. You've got an updating rule to make sure that all the numbers match and point to the right part of Title 32 in your contract clause. I see. Wow. Okay. I've been confused by that, so I'm sure I'm not the only one. (laughs) So thank you. When do we think CMMC will actually appear in contracts? There's effectively two scenarios that have to do with rulemaking. So when a rule is published, it can have essentially, for our purposes, one of two statuses. It can either be what is known as a proposed rule, or it can be what is known as an interim final rule. The text of regulations aren't done until they are a final rule, if you will. And so the normal way that rulemaking works is the text of the rule is hammered out through this long bureaucratic process, and it's then published as a proposed rule in the federal register. That's where the public gets to read it. They get to comment on it, suggest changes and modifications and so on. The government will take that input. They will adjudicate those comments, make any sufficient or necessary changes if they determine that they need to. And then they will publish the changed text, if it changes at all, as a final rule. That's the regulation. Boom, there you go. The alternative to that scenario is what is known as an interim final rule, at which point, once the text of the rule is published, the text of the rule is effective essentially immediately. Now, the public still gets to comment on it, but you don't have to wait to respond to potentially hundreds of public comments for the regulation to actually roll out as an official regulation. Interim final rules, obviously, are extremely rare because you're effectively creating a law through an unelected agency without anyone being able to see or comment on it at all, right? That is not a very democratic process. So it's extremely (laughs) rare to get that waiver. And this is governed by something known as the Administrative Procedures Act. Like I said, long, long history of this, you know, battle back and forth. So... We don't know what status the CMMC rule will have. The DFARS rules that impose 800-171 as a minimum set of requirements, you know, starting in 2016, that was an interim final rule. So that got this very hard to get waiver because the national security concerns were sufficient to justify going faster. The CMMC rule in 2020 was an interim final rule because the national security concerns of not having implemented those requirements justified going faster. So that would lead you to believe that it would be an interim final rule, but there's a lot of reasons why it could be a proposed rule. So where we are in the current timeline, we would expect that the text of the rule will be published as one of those two things in October of 2023, give or take. Right. Mm -hmm. Once it's published, if it is an interim final rule, it would essentially be effective immediately and it would probably start to roll out into contracts starting in Q1 of 2024. If it is a proposed rule, then the DOD has to respond to all those public comments. Generally, that takes about a year historically based off of averages. And that would mean that it would start to roll out into contracts in Q1 of 2025. So that big delta of about a year or so is really dependent on the status that's assigned to the rule. But nobody knows what status it will be because ultimately only OMB gets to decide whether it will be an interim final rule or a proposed rule. DOD has said they want an interim final rule, 
There's a strong case for an interim final rule, but we don't know. And so as a result, you have this sort of competing timelines. If it is an interim final rule and CMMC starts to roll out into contracts in Q1 of 2024, that's probably worst case scenario for companies that haven't started yet because their implementation times are a lot longer than most people think. And so they would be upside down. They're basically upside down and out of time already if that's the timeline we're on. There's another rule in the making that is going to have substantial impact. And we refer to it as the FAR CUI rule. Could you tell us about what that will do? Yeah. So like we said, when the CUI program originally launched in 2010, it had three parts. It still does have three parts. But so far, we've only gotten two of those three parts. We have the federal CUI regulation that makes federal agencies do CUI programs. We've got the minimum set of standards in 800-171, but we never got the rule that goes into the federal acquisition regulation. We have only been talking about one agency supplement in this larger universe of the CUI program because the DOD has had to go so far ahead and so fast compared to the other agencies because their CUI is being lost at a particularly high rate, right? You can imagine that DOD weapon systems, unclassified information is a little bit different than like Department of Interior controlled unclassified information. Nothing against Interior. I'm just saying hypersonic missiles, Department of Interior information, they're not exactly the same thing. So the FAR CUI rule is this white whale missing piece of the CUI program. And if you look in the footnotes of SP-800-171, and if you dig far enough back into NIST webinars and things like that, there was a time circa 2015, 2016, right when SP-800-171 was coming out, right when the federal CUI regulation was being published as a final rule, you could not go on a webinar, you could not read a press release, listen to an interview, read a NIST publication without them talking about the FAR CUI rule. And it has been in purgatory ever since, but it is getting closer and closer to finally being released. So for instance, the DOD process of rulemaking for a single program that they are highly motivated to do has taken them two years because of all these processes and checks that we talked about. Now imagine that a FAR CUI rule that basically does the same thing has to be coordinated amongst every single federal agency. And so for it to take four, five, six, seven years is not really all that crazy because it takes a single agency upwards of two to three years to just get it out of their own doors, let alone get all of the cats wrangled together and, and you know, yeah. going in the same direction. Yeah, you know, The way that I describe it whenever I'm talking to people who are not in the defense space, but they are in the federal contracting space, is that it's very important to pay attention to what's going on with DFARS and CMMC, even though it mm-hmm. seems like a weird DOD thing, because... The FAR CUI rule is what makes 800-171 the minimum standard for all federal contractors, not just defense contractors, right? 800-171 is not a defense standard. It is the government-wide standard. And so if you want to see what will happen in all of the other supply chains below all of the other agencies, all you have to do is look at the use case in the defense supply chain because- The DOD supply chain is not unique compared to other federal supply chains. Those supply chains are predominantly made up of small businesses that are under-resourced, without in-house IT expertise, without really any understanding of how NIST standards work. It's the same situation over and over again, but a lot of times even worse. 
And so when the FAR CUI rule comes around and imposes mm-hmm. the same set of basic requirements onto those supply chains, we will see those supply chains break in extremely similar ways to the ways that we see the defense supply chain being stressed through the DFAR cybersecurity standards. So it is the canary in the coal mine, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And we saw a regulation recently, I think from DHS and the Veterans Affairs. And interestingly, there was no mention of NIST 800-171, but Is that because they're waiting on the FAR CUI rule? Exactly. So the DHS one is very interesting, right? So DHS is a lot of bark without a lot of bite. Mm -hmm. And so they are probably uh, a good contrast to DOD in terms of how most agencies want to approach this problem. So the DHS CUI rule creates contract clauses within the DHS supplements to the FAR. Uh, in this case, it is not the DFARS because that's already taken. It's called the HSAR, the Homeland mm-hmm. Security Acquisition Regulation Supplement. So mm-hmm. you would expect that the DHS CUI rule would be like the DOD CUI rule and that it would say our contractors dealing with our CUI have to implement these requirements in 800-171. Wham, bam, thank you very much. What they did was they said, no, 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 we know the FAR CUI rule is coming. So when this FAR CUI rule comes by, you have to do what it says. And that any of the small number of contractors who are on contract to provide us with IT systems you guys have ATO and 853 requirements because you're basically doing it for us. But for everybody else that is a covered contractor system with our information, but you're not providing us with an information system, the FAR CUI rule is coming around the corner. So they basically punted, right? They basically said, we're not going to put our necks out there and take all this heat, probably because they're watching DOD get absolutely beat up for the last several years for having tried to do it. So it's just this one indicator to show you how much gravity the FAR CUI rule has where entire agencies like DHS are like, we're just going to wait and see what's in the FAR CUI rule, even though all the agencies participate in the development of the FAR CUI rule, which is what makes it so silly. They know what's in the rule. They wrote it. They've seen it. They've seen it for years. So it's this weird, you know, pulled punch from DHS. But it also just goes to show you how committed DOD is to this CMMC program, because there's literally no other federal agency that would take the flack that they've taken over the years. They would all just wait for the collective FAR CUI rule. And DOD has been out there being like, nope, it's unpopular. It's controversial. It's necessary. So we're doing it. That's fascinating. Is there any estimates on when that FAR CUI rule will actually be done and we'll see something in contracts? I wouldn't speculate on when it would be done. So the National Security Council went through a review of the CUI executive order and the executive order that governs classified program security. And they are supposed to be reviewing and recommending updates to those executive orders. That review is supposed to be finished this summer, but apparently it was delayed for some reason. I don't know if that would actually hold up the FAR CUI rule. I do know, however, so back in March of 2023 at the CS2 conference that was in Huntsville, Stacey Bosjanic got on stage and she was talking all about how she was getting ready to go to a meeting back in D.C. with all the federal agency CISOs about the final text of the FAR CUI rules. So depending on who you get your information from and which story in D.C. you listen to, it could yeah. be before the end of the year, could be next year. We've been saying that for six years, so <laughs> we don't really know. It's one of those things, like a lot of these cybersecurity regulations, where nobody believes that it's a real thing until it happens. And by the time 
it happens through the magic of the rulemaking process, it's too late, right? By the time the rule is published and on the books, the process of developing it and changing it is done. It's this strange phenomenon where the last two years have been the time where things have been changed and things have been moving around for the CMMC program. When the rule is published, those conversations are basically over. Wow. Well, we've definitely covered a lot. I think this has been really valuable. I, I've learned quite a bit. So thank you so much for taking the time, Jacob. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to add? Yeah, no, I just really appreciate being on the show. Like I said earlier, it's been awesome seeing your platform grow. It's been awesome seeing you share your perspective on what's going on. I love seeing the podcast grow. I love being on the podcast. You know, your following on LinkedIn is growing like crazy too. So Thank I'm, you. you know, happy to see the course growing and see all the awesome reviews that get posted. So we need all the help we can get, man, because there's just not a lot of people who are working in this space. There's not a lot of people who are really aware of what's going on. And there's even fewer people that are sort of out there talking about it, making content. Happy to be here. Happy to share with what's going on. You know, we'll have those links down, I think, below in the description so people can check them out if they want more info and details. And uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.